I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles, if you have one with you or in front of you, to the Gospel according to John. If you're just joining us this morning as a church, we're walking through uh, this book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we right now are in chapter four in this incredible encounter that Jesus has that he initiates with the woman of Samaria. And we see the gospel brightly on display in Jesus. Jesus, on purpose, travels to a broken place. Jesus, on purpose, travels to meet with a broken person. And Jesus doesn't do all this to come to this broken person and give her a lecture or give her a big old guilt trip. Jesus does all of this, comes to a broken place, comes to a broken person to offer that broken person the fullness of all that he is and all that he gives. Remember that as we read this chapter, today as we get back into it and read about the woman of Samaria, that we need to see this woman as our representative. That means that how Jesus acts towards her is the same way Jesus acts towards us. The things, the issues, the underlying things in her soul that Jesus is trying to put his finger on are the same things and issues and underlying things in our soul that Jesus is trying to put, us, put his finger on as well. You and I are not technically the woman of Samaria, but all of us need Jesus just as much as the woman of Samaria. And so in that way, we are all the woman of Samaria. Let me remind us briefly about what we've already heard in John 4, and I am reminding us of this because we are all so prone to forget this. And what happens is what the author or teacher Paul Tripp describes as gospel amnesia. When we forget what's completely and totally secured for us vertically in Christ, we go around looking for it horizontally. When we forget what's secure for us vertically, we look for it horizontally. We always need to be reminded of this because we're also prone to forget this, which is this. Jesus doesn't wait for you to come to where he is. Jesus comes to you right where you are. Right where you are. And that even means that right now, Right now, at this moment, you are being pursued by Jesus, just like he pursues this woman in John 4. And it means that right now, just like with the woman in John 4, Jesus is drawing you to himself. Jesus is not just standing in a fixed point waiting for you to come to him. Jesus, by his spirit, through his word, is actively, presently drawing you to himself. And Jesus waits for us. This is where we left off last week. Jesus waits for us at all of those worldly wells we're tempted to go to. Those worldly wells that offer fake fulfillment. Jesus waits for us there, not to condemn us or to shame us, but to invite us into fullness of life in himself. He offers us the real thing. And so because of that, we've seen how Jesus keeps pursuing and he keeps working on and wooing this precious woman drawing her to himself, not to then shame her or condemn her, but drawing her to himself because he's the ultimate well. 
He's the ultimate point of access into fullness of life in God, into the living water of the Holy Spirit. And so where we left off last week was in verse 15. The woman of Samaria doesn't fully understand Jesus, which should be comforting because none of us in this life ever fully understand Jesus. But she says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So now as we start looking at verse 16 and onwards, Jesus begins to respond. And it might seem at first glance like Jesus is changing the subject. She's just asked for water and now he's about to open up a whole new <laughs> line of conversation. He's not changing the subject. He is responding to her request. But her request in verse 15 is slightly superficial. She's still thinking literally. She's still thinking that he means literal H2O. Jesus longs to draw her deeper than superficial faith. And so he responds by going way below the surface. And the first way he does this is through revelation. Jesus will not leave you at superficial faith like in verse 15. Jesus will draw you deeper. He will woo you into life in him like he does here in a fairly shocking way starting in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So there's some revelation going on here, but let me point out that there are two kinds of revelation going on here simultaneously. And the first kind of revelation going on here is revelation of the sinner. Revelation of the sinner. Jesus reveals her sin. How Jesus does it, you feel this when you read this. You might feel it when we read it this morning. The way Jesus reveals her sin is fairly breathtaking. Just a matter of seconds here. He's been talking to her about water and the well and Jacob and, and how can you ask me for a drink? And all of a sudden, he's exposing some of the deepest hidden places in her soul. You've had five husbands. You're currently living with a man who's not your husband. Jesus puts it all out in the open. He reveals the sinner, but not, again, not to shame her or to condemn her. Jesus does this on purpose. He reveals something about her in order to reveal something about him. And this is the revelation of the Savior. These are the 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 two kinds of revelation that are happening simultaneously here, sinner and savior. As I thought about this, I thought of the, the double-layered oven we have at our house. Many of you have an oven like this, where we can cook or bake two things at the same time. And when I say we can cook, I mean Catherine or my daughters can cook. <laughs> Two kinds of baking are happening simultaneously. One in the top oven, one in the bottom oven. Jesus is baking up two kinds of revelation simultaneously. And he's always doing this. 
revealing our sin in order to reveal himself. Revealing our desperation in order to reveal his fullness. Revealing our need in order to reveal how he meets that need. Revelation of the sinner and revelation of the Savior. Jesus reveals something about this woman's identity here in order to reveal something about his identity. He is responding to her. This is revelation, but this is redemptive revelation. He points out her sin. He points out her desperation because he's the one who can save her from her sin and desperation. There's a lesson for us here. Sometimes Jesus just might have to wreck you, but Jesus wrecks you in order to redeem you. He wrecks this woman here. He takes her breath away. He reveals her sin to her. Sometimes Jesus reveals your sin to you in order to reveal your Savior to you. Jesus is saying to her and to us, if you want what he's got, then you've got to let him into your Samaria. You'll need to meet him at the place of your longing and of your brokenness, and he will give you there the fullness of his grace. There is no condemnation, but as part of his grace and his kindness, he will reveal your sin to you in order to reveal your Savior to you. Sometimes you cannot see just exactly who Jesus is until you see just exactly who you are. And it hurts sometimes. It hurts sometimes. But this is the kindness of his grace that reveals our sin to us redemptively. That at the same time that he is revealing our sin, he is revealing himself, who he really is. And that's what he's done here. And the woman begins to see who Jesus is. She begins to see him for who he is. Look at verse 19. It's an understatement of all understatements here. The woman says to Jesus, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. She says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. It's interesting to me that this is much more significant than, than we realize. Because remember, this is a Samaritan woman, not a Jewish woman. So there are some differences between the Samaritan faith and the Jewish faith. And one of the key differences is, was that Samaritans did not believe that there had been a succession of prophets. They believed that Moses had been the prophet. And that the next prophet who came would be the prophet, meaning the Messiah. So when we read here in verse 19, this Samaritan woman saying that this man she just met, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. It means that she's beginning to see Jesus for who he is. But she's not arriving at that realization on her own. She's arriving at the realization of who Jesus is by way of his revelation. 
Jesus came to that town. Jesus came to that well. He's the one who started talking to her. He's the one who started pointing out her sins and her failures. The woman of Samaria came to realize who Jesus was because he revealed it to her. He wrecked her in order to redeem her. This is one way that Jesus goes below the surface. He does it here in John 4, and he does it in you and me through revelation. But also, as we look even deeper below the surface, God goes deeper with us through redefinition. It's our second word here as we look at this text, redefinition. Jesus wants to absolutely redefine this woman's life. Jesus wants to absolutely redefine her identity. And he does it here in just a matter of minutes. It's the power of Jesus. Just think about this. Five minutes earlier, this woman was defined by what she had done, by the mistakes she had made, by failures and failures and failures. She was defined by what I'll call three words of Samaria. And these words followed her around wherever she went and they haunted her and she couldn't shake them. And maybe they'll sound familiar to you. Maybe these three words of Samaria will sound familiar to you. And they're shamed, separated, and sinner. These words defined who she was. She was shamed, separated, and a sinner. We see this in our text. She was living in shame. That's why she came to the well at noon. She was living separated from her people and from God, and she was living in open sin. And now she has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus reveals her sin to her, reveals himself to her, and as a result of that revelation, redefines her life. I think of the snow that a week ago covered everything outside, and then it got to be 90 degrees on Thursday. And all the snow vanished. It disappeared. That's what Jesus is beginning to do here with this woman. Those three words of, of, of shame and separation and sin hung over her. The closer she gets to the warmth, the closer she gets to the light and to the truth and to the person of Jesus, those words of Samaria begin to melt away and disappear from her. And the closer she comes to Jesus and draws near to him and he woos her, the more he gives her replacement words. He gives her three words of the gospel. And I want those words to ring out over this place today and ring out over you. Because the same three words of the gospel that Jesus begins to proclaim over the woman of Samaria, Jesus also begins to proclaim over you. And the first word of the gospel she begins to hear is the word known. Say that word out loud with me. Known. In a matter of seconds, this woman begins to know how deeply and profoundly known she is. 
by Jesus. He knows things about her that he had no earthly way of knowing. He knew things about her that he could not have guessed. Jesus knows her so deeply, so far down below the superficial, that he begins to pierce her heart with that knowledge. If we could just slow this story down and watch it in a replay, slowed down and slow-mo, you'd see her heart begin to be pierced wonderfully by the perfect knowledge of God in Christ. And this is one of Jesus' favorite tactics, by the way. He loves to pierce people's heart just by saying, I know that about you. I know that. I saw that. And there's no explanation for that other than I'm God and I know it. He did this with Nathaniel. Remember at the end of chapter one, Nathaniel's coming towards him and Jesus says, oh, Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I saw you sitting by the tree. And Nathaniel's heart is pierced. He says, how do you know me? We can't even begin, you can't even begin to comprehend the wonderful knowledge of God. Hear these first six verses of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Now catch this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We prayed at the beginning of this service like we do almost every Sunday. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. All desires known And from you, no secrets are hid. What an incredible admission we begin every Sunday with. We're saying, God, you know me. You know everything about me. You know my desires. You know those things that I have hidden. And because you're God, this isn't terrifying. This is wonderful. And it's wonderful that God knows us because God loves us. Think about this. This is the second word of the gospel. In Christ, you are not just known, you are loved. You are loved. There is no separation between God's knowledge of you and God's love for you. The same degree to which God knows you is the degree to which God loves you. The depths of the knowledge of God of you are equal to the depths of the love of God for you. It is not as if there is something in you that's buried so deep down that resides in a level that only God's knowledge reaches, that God's love cannot also reach. However much God knows you is the same amount God loves you. God does not know you like Google knows you. Google knows you better than you think they do. (laughs) 
They have built a profile on you. They know where you go. They know what you eat. They probably are listening to us right now. Hello, Google. (laughs) They build a profile of knowledge on you to get something out of you. God doesn't know you like Google knows you. For God to know you is to love you. The depths of his knowledge are equal to the depths of his love. And this woman begins to get that. You can see it happening in slow motion. She knows that she's known and she knows that she's loved. And what's even more amazing to me is just think about this for a moment, that this woman at the well was just laying eyes on Jesus for the first time. She'd never seen him before. Not the same for Jesus. John's prologue told us that Jesus is God and that he was in the beginning with God. And so while the woman of Samaria was just laying eyes on Jesus for the first time, Jesus had laid eyes on her as the God-man in his godness, godship from the beginning of time. He had laid eyes on her before she was ever conceived. Think of Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So he begins to pierce her heart, not only with his knowledge of her, but with his love for her. Jesus is redefining this woman's life with the good news of the gospel. And we can see those words of shame separated and sinner melting away like last week's snow. She's hearing these words now, maybe for the first time in her life. Think about that. I wonder if she had ever, ever heard these words before over her. She was known and she was loved. Because what we know of her story was that there were probably considerable periods of her life when she was quite disposable. And now she's with a man who knows her and loves her. And Jesus keeps pursuing her now and wooing her. And she's beginning to hear the third word of the gospel. And this word flies in the face of a world that we live in, that when it knows who you really are, or when it knows what you've really done, or when it knows the mistakes that you've really made, This world will cancel you in a heartbeat. We even have a term for it. Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Jesus takes that word and he buries it. In Christ, your cancellation is canceled. Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is canceled for us in our place so that in Christ, the third word of the gospel is not canceled, but is forgiven. Say that word out loud with me, forgiven. The woman of Samaria 
was looking at the one who would take all of her sins. He would take all of her failures and all of her mistakes and he would nail them to the cross. She was looking at the one who would redefine her past and her present and her future. Because instead of this woman being forgotten as just the sinful woman of Samaria, Jesus honors this woman and elevates her forever in scripture as a gleaming demonstration of the beauty of God's grace. Think about that. That this woman, her whole life had lived feeling like a complete failure. And now she meets Jesus. And here we are, January 28th, 2024, talking about her and seeing her now, not through lenses of judgment and scorn and condemnation and what a joke this woman is, but what a beautiful demonstration her life is of the glory and the grace of God in Christ. For all who turn to Christ, hear the same words of the gospel that the woman of Samaria heard that day. In Christ you are known. You are loved. And you're forgiven. Jesus will repeat these words to you daily. He'll repeat these words to you minute by minute if you need him to. Because the world will put those words of Samaria on repeat and repeat and repeat. And God in Christ by his Holy Spirit will put the words of the gospel on repeat and he'll turn it up louder. Hear God's word in the book of Colossians chapter two. God has made us alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Don't forget this this morning. Be reminded of this. That just like the woman of Samaria, when we turn to Jesus, he nails our sins to the cross. And so that means that those same sins and failures that he knows are the very same sins and failures that he forgets. God forgets your sins. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Jesus revealed sins to her, and Jesus revealed her Savior to her as the one who would take those sins from her. Jesus would take those sins from her, and he did not take those sins from her to hold them in his hands to then someday rub her face in them. Or someday, 30 years later, when she messes up again, to remind her of them. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, takes those sins from that woman, not to ever remind her of them again, but to throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. 
You are not defined by what you've done. You are defined by what Christ has done. And because of what Christ has done, you are known, you are loved, and you are forgiven. What sins, what trespasses do you still carry on your shoulders? deep within your soul. That DWI, that failed relationship, that year in college, that time you got fired, that abortion, that affair, that time you sent that email, to 800 of your colleagues instead of just the one colleague you meant it for. (laughs) And you're still, honestly, you're still so ashamed. You're still so ashamed of it. And you think that God's ashamed of you. What words do you still carry around with you? And they hang over you and they follow you around no matter where you go. And sometimes you repeat those words back to yourself. I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. No one loves me. Nobody wants to be around me. I can't accomplish anything. All I am is an addict. Jesus takes those sins. Jesus takes that shame. Jesus takes those words and those lies and those curses that are straight from the pit of hell. And Jesus nails them to the cross. And they're gone. Give them to Jesus. Give it to Jesus again. He will take it from you. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is what? Nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing in just a minute. I hope that when we sing, we really sing. We're going to sing, but let's stand and pray first. God, we thank you. God, we praise you. That the same grace, the same gospel, the same forgiveness, the same love, the same savior, the same light, the same mercy, the same embrace, the same knowledge, the same warmth of the light and the presence of Christ is for us. So Lord, first we thank you and praise you. And now we ask you, Lord, that right now, right here, and at this time, the good news of the gospel would ring out again and afresh over us. Lord God, that wherever those words of Samaria are ringing in our ear, you would shut them up. 
and that we would hear the better word that your blood speaks over us, a word of your knowledge, a word of your love, a word of your mercy and forgiveness. We thank you, Lord. And we ask you now to encourage us and refresh us with the good news. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.